and more. Retro Metro on the corner of Cox and Republic Road in Southwest Springfield. EatRetroMetro.com. The news and talk. There's never been anything like it. A witch hunt like this has never taken place. That matters to Springfield. Putin clearly made a strategic error here. I've not taken a single penny from any country. 93.3 and AM 560. KWTO. I'm the son of a good man. I'm the child of an angel. I'm the brother of a wild one. And I'm looking for direction. News analysis and opinion. It's the Elijah Har Show on 93.3 and AM 560 KWTO. Tithing. What is tithing? Tithing is the biblical commandment, give 10% of your income to God. I'm giving the generic answer, but joining us now, and I love it so much because he's got his hat on backwards, which is always how I am on the radio. Bruce the Theologian back in studios. Welcome back. Closest to the mic. That's, I love it. I love it. So, All right. T- tell us, what is tithing? Where did it come from in the Bible? Um, in the Bible, it comes from the, the first time we see it is Genesis 14 with Abraham and Genesis 18 with uh, Jacob. Um, the Old Testament um, ancient Israelites, they actually had three forms of tithing. Um, they had the Levitical tithe. Uh, the tithe of feasts that you see in Deuteronomy 14, the tithe of, for the poor in Deuteronomy 14 also. So collectively between their three tithes, how, depending on how you divvied up, it comes up to be about 20% of their actual income that they were paying to the temple in, in the Old Testament. 10%, that comes from what, Melchizedek? Um, it comes from, uh, well, the, the 10%, the tithe, um, is in Genesis and, and, and earlier, Genesis and uh, 14 and 18. But the one that the, the evangelical choose, church uses the most is, um, is in Malachi 3, chapter, chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, um, where uh, what's happening there is that God is rebuking the ancient Israelites for not paying their taxes. Uh, oftentimes in the church, it's used as an example of this is why God says you should pay your tithe, and God will bless you if you pay your tithe. But actually, it's a complete misuse of the verse because God is, like I said, rebuking them for not paying the taxes. They're, they're actual because they lived in a theocracy, so you had to pay tribute to the to the temple in the theocracy for the for the Le- Le- Levitical priesthood and for uh, for giving alms to the poor and yeah. So how the church uses that, the modern church uses it in the in the um, in the, the new covenant that we live under, the covenant of grace we live under now, um, is is incorrect because the, the time in the time of of, um, of Malachi, they're living under the Mosaic covenant, which God tells them, "If you do this, I will do this." Um, and yeah, it's a very different situation than, than how it's pitched from the church these days. So there's obviously, as as we were discussing, there's a lot of modern churches that say, "If you if you tithe to the church, God will bless you. You'll end up." making more or having more resources than you did before that. Mm. Uh, and there's some churches have even gone far enough to do challenge where they're like, if you tithe for a certain amount of time and you don't feel like God has blessed you, we'll, we'll pay your tithe back to you. Mm-hmm. And it's a really interesting concept. What are your thoughts on that? Um, it's problematic. We'll go back to the the, uh, the Malachi example. When, when God says that he will bless his people for paying their taxes, they're effectively their IRS taxes of the ancient days, he isn't talking about, he's talking about blessing them with regards to their crops and surviving, not, not about uh, living in excess or luxury goods he's going to bless them with beyond what they basically need. Um, the problem with the, uh, with the, the evangelical church today that offers what we call these money back guarantees on tithing and that kind of thing is it, it creates a, a transactional relationship with God as opposed to, um, 
a, 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 an attitude of you give your tithe as, a, as an act of gratitude. If, if you give a tithe and you expect to get something in return, that isn't, that isn't an act of giving. It's an act, it's an investment. Um, and the problem with it, 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 tithing should be an act of worship or giving of your, of your monies to, to God should be an act of worship and not, um, not a, uh, not an investment. Um, it, it basically, um, you're turning something of worship into something of self-interest. It's perverting what the purpose of, of, of the tithe is in the first place, I'm afraid. That's too, so, so the, the tithe is not, and it's interesting because I think a lot of times, I, I think most Christians struggle with, uh, almost the transactional nature of Christianity. Like, you know, if I pray and ask God for something, when's he going to do it? Mm-hmm. It, it almost becomes, and it's the same with the, 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 the idea of that if I tithe, I will receive a blessing in return. It changes the form. You're saying tithing is actually just a form of worship and, and, and sort of a, a gratitude for the, the blessings he's already given us. That's the key word. The key word is gratitude. If we understand who we are in Christ, um, from our, from the preaching that we hopefully hear in our churches, um, the, the preaching in our churches remind us that we are not our own. You know, uh, we're we're bond servants of Christ, as as um, as uh, Corinthians tells us. Um, and if you're not your own and you're a bond servant, that means everything you own is God's. So you're merely a custodian of your money, not oh here's here's ten percent of my money this month, Lord. You know that doesn't. That that's that isn't really biblical to to think things outside of that. Is the ten percent number that most Christians believe is that? Do you believe in a modern new covenant that that is what God commands us? to Well, give? the ten percent we have in the the Mosaic covenant um, was fulfilled. Uh, not the ten percent, but the, the Mosaic covenant was filled by Christ. So, um, tithing isn't isn't um isn't in the new testament but the difference is is in the new testament christ has come to fulfill the law and therefore we're supposed to live with gratitude and to live with gratitude it would seem one should at least tithe their income because if god owns 100 percent of who you are as a christian then a tithe is actually quite a small uh, portion of that and, and and not not forgetting that every talent we have the air in our lungs comes from god and he can decide to remove those talents or remove the air from our lungs and and we don't have the ability to to do that anymore so um, yeah, I think 10% is a, is, is really a low bar, really, uh, compared to what it potentially could be. If a person's very wealthy, 10% isn't necessarily, is, 10% of their income isn't really going to affect their lifestyle at all. Uh, so maybe it's a reasonable, uh, argument to say those who have done very well for themselves, uh, who are Christians, they can give far, far and above 10% of their income. That's, so it's interesting because, because you hear that 10% number almost as gospel in almost every church you go to. Um, you say no. That's that's sort of the floor, not the ceiling. Yes, I, absolutely. I would agree. It's the floor. Unfortunately, we get to that Malachi verse, and I think the Malachi verse is misused uh, in order to appeal for a tithe, um, because it's there is a measure of of legalism there. We talked about legalism last week with the Duggar family and the Bill Gothard situation. Is um, that one shouldn't go down that road? One should give with a heart of gratitude and. Um, th- that is that is not unfortunately what's modeled in a lot of churches. It's if you do this, you'll get this. You, you know, you brought up something interesting in the Old Testament. You said there's three different ties. There's one for the church and one for the the poor, and um, I don't remember what the third one was. Um, the tie the feasts. Tie the feast. Mm-hmm. Okay, is that a tithe of church potlucks? Because uh, I would, I would invest in that one for sure. <laughs> well, I mean, you get into the Malachi verse, and, and God's telling them to bring their 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 fruits and their grains into the storehouse. It's not; a, it's an economic tithe because they're to give of their first fruits. Um, so the the tithe of feasts um, that could be an economic tithe, but it could also be a tithe of their giving of a 
you know, of, uh, of food for the feast that's going to take place. So New Covenant, <clears throat> New Covenant Christian, they're like, all right, 10% is the floor, not the ceiling. Let's say I want to do, I'm going to make 15% the number. What do you, in, in your view, you know, obviously a lot of churches say, oh, send your tithe to us. Then you've got missions. What's, what's the, what's in sort of the wheelhouse of what's acceptable as a tithe and what's not? Yeah, there's, there's no biblical model for that. Obviously in the Old Testament, we have the, the people give the tithe to their, um, to their, uh, the tabernacle or to the, um, to the temple. Um, I, I think a 15% is a, is a 10% is a reasonable number. Like I said, we, we can't, we can't make a claim that tithing is reiterated, um, in the, in the New Testament, but I think it's reasonable to give a, a tithe of your, of your, uh, of your income to your local church. If you think your local church is doing the right things with the money, uh, I think that's a, that can, um, cause people concern that like, well, I'm not sure, you know, how, how does my church use, use the money is the, is, uh, you know, how the money's used. And if that's a concern, one should go to their church uh, leaders and say, hey, I'm just interested in how, how's, how's the money divvied up here. If your church is using your money to, you know, fly people around on private jets, <laughs> I can see why that would concern congregants that, um, that they're facilitating, a, you know, an excessive lifestyle. You know, and it's, it's, it's interesting. I've, I've heard this story that Billy Graham, when he would travel around the country a week or two in advance, he would put their, um, Basically, his his numbers, his his um, business in the the newspapers, so that people knew that the money wasn't being wasted. That if you gave money to his ministry, exactly where it was going, and that was one of the things he never had scandal because everything was always very eyes open for everybody that gave money to his ministry. Right, right, and that's very much the opposite of you kind of your your TBN televangelists, hucksters that are, uh, <laughs> you know, giving the seed money. You know, if you you, you know you got to give this money to to prosper. Um, that's interesting. I didn't know Billy Graham did that. And that is, that is interesting because I think that's one of the things, particularly for people that are not going to church or not, um, don't have a faith that they always go to kind of a place they go to when you discuss Christianity with them is, Oh, well, it's just one big grift. All they're trying to do is steal people's money. And I, I always say, listen, if you don't want to be, if you don't want to be a Christian, there's always going to be something you can find an excuse why you're not going to be. Right. But it's interesting because that does, that does come up very commonly in either agnostic or, or just general disinterest in, in church or religion is, well, the, you know, the guy on TV that, that is bagging for your money and, and, and then living a palatial lifestyle. Yeah. I think, um, I mean, obviously we, we, we wouldn't advocate for, for, um, a minister using, uh, um, church funds nefariously, but, I think the big problem with the appeal of of trying to get trying to offer a guarantee in order to get in ordering giving the congregant a guarantee that, that they'll receive monies back if they plant the seed is that in in many ways that feel it makes makes me feel like the pastor has failed in his duty to remind the the congregant's relationship of their relationship who God is and their relationship to God because if you if you are a Christian, you should feel compelled to give money. There should be no need for an appeal. You should want to give of, of you understand who God is and who he, and, and who you are. And as a result, you just feel compelled to give. And I think there's a failure of that in the, uh, in what we'll call it the health wealth gospel. Yeah. And you know, I also think it's interesting. We've seen a pretty big change in how churches collect ties over the years. Um, I grew up in churches where they were always passing, you know, mm. passing something. I think with COVID, I don't know if churches still pass the hat or not. We do it at our church. Okay, yeah. you okay? There Old are school. churches that still do uh, it. But we actually also have online giving for those that may not be able to be there that week. Or, that is, mm. and it's funny because uh, the online giving has become a thing, and it's. I always love it when the pastors get up and drop words like, 
use the QR code if you want. <laughs> I've not heard it that makes one yet, me but... laugh because I'm like, okay. we, we, we do the same thing where, um, you know, there's people watch. I don't know if your church, if people watch online, but at the end of service, when it's like, hey, if you need prayer for something, raise your hand or put the hand emoji in the chat box. I've and I'm like, one. It feels yeah. like a very serious moment, and then somebody says emoji, and I sort of like yeah. lose seriousness. Yeah, it kind of loses its sacredness when you use the word emoji. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it is interesting because I've heard hundreds of years ago, they used to have things called pew rental, where you could rent your pew in mm-hmm. church. Yep. So if you were a big donor to the church, you could always sit on pew number two or wherever you right. wanted to be. And mm-hmm. it's fascinating to watch how the, 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 the ways that churches collect tithes has changed through the years, because you're right. While that should be every Christian should just feel a natural com- compulsion to give, most of them have to either A, be reminded, or B, have some sort of easy way to facilitate that transfer. And I think churches constantly fight that battle of how to how to do it, and and some probably do too much, but how to do it, how to remind the congregants of, of that duty. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if we'll ever see that again, you know, the— uh the uh, the the pew the pew you know you pay your money and you get your you know your pew on the front row um, yeah I'm not I'm not sure I'm not sure how that would um, if if we could see a, a, a corollary to that today I think the unfortunately uh, it could there could be the case where some uh, some of the congregants do receive preferential treatment from ministers and I think there's a cautionary tale there I certainly think that uh, ministers should should not have any working knowledge of who gives what to the to the church. I think that's a very dangerous thing. Oh, that's real. I'd never thought yeah, about that because it, it, I think it can cause a situation where the preference is shown to members that give a lot and and um, yeah, I, I think that's a very unhealthy situation for a minister to be knowledgeable of who. Gives so, what. in your in your mind, who then is is the money received and just. There, there's like a, a wall there, so you know how much comes in, but not who gave yeah, what. Yeah, I, I think the church treasurer should uh, should likely know what uh, who gives what. Uh, not that it, it, in many cases for tax reasons, because most churches oftentimes sure. will give a, a tax. Um, you know, a um, the five hundred one c three. Yeah, the the form at the end of the year that says this is how much you gave to the church. Um, another way to do it, you could even do it outside of that. You could have an outside accounting company that does all the church's finances, um, and nobody in the church knows who gives what. Um, but like I said, the, the minister should be confident that his preaching is impressing upon the hearts of his congregants to give, and so so they understand the relationship to God, and that results in them having a heart of gratitude. Fascinating! Uh, you took the word right out of my <laughs> mouth. I mean, that's genius because there there have been, I'm sure, time and time again of, oh, the, this person gives so much money and is really. I don't know, posting on Facebook a lot about this, so I should base my sermon around it and agree with him. Mm-hmm. When in reality, 90% of the congregation might not really care about that issue, or that's not what the Lord actually wants the pastor to preach about. Mm-hmm. Well, it's fascinating, because we just talked about this the other day. Tucker Carlson, in one of his questions at this Iowa forum, the Faith and Family Forum, he was asking candidates, like, you know, often the interest of the GOP base and the interest of the donors are pretty divergent. Mm-hmm. And most most of the base thinks that the candidates listed to the donors because that's where the money comes from. It's it's the same problem being replicated then in churches. Yeah, I mean, oftentimes you find in, in politics, you know, so-and-so gets an ambassadorship in France because he gave a massive amount to so-and-so's campaign. I assume that's why you came to America. Absolutely. You, got, you, you donated your money and you got it. <laughs> yeah, Um but yeah, I mean, it, we, we back to the, back to the issue of of the giving is that the problem when we talk about gratitude, the the this ninety percent or this ninety day money back guarantee kind of thing removes the concept of gratitude. It makes it transactional. It makes it an investment and not and not it it, it it's fundamentally unchristian. It removes 
gratitude and charity from the equation and makes it purely transactional. Um, and, you know, does, if a person gives uh, and, and takes up a challenge where they're going to give and then, you know, expect to receive something back, do they leave the church if they don't receive, you know, these monies or, or the, these, these blessings, you know? So. Here's, here's, here's another question. Mm -hmm. um, is, is a tithe always of your money? Or can tithe be of your time, or can it be both, or should it? Be um, both? I think primarily a tithe. I mean, in the in the model that we have in the Bible, the tithe is, is from your is from your first fruits. Okay. So it's it's from your money. Now, volunteering your time, I think that's great too. I think that's that's supplemental to a tithe. Um, but I don't want to get hung up on tithe. It, it, the The issue is we give of we give of God's blessings to us. It could be a tithe. It could be twenty percent. It could be fifty percent. There's people that you know. I've known people that give a lot more than a tithe. Um, yeah, um, you give from a heart of thankfulness, and whatever God impresses on your heart, um, you give from that. And, and ministers should be concerned about impressing that on people's heart. Not talking about money every week, but uh, but identify uh, helping this congregation identify who they are in Christ, and we'll see who tithes as a result of that. Well, and I think whenever you're giving now, because the Bible does talk about like you will be rewarded in the end, and has as a whole bunch of different verses mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, people unfortunately are so focused on the physical side of things right. that they automatically assume a that the the reward itself is going to be a physical thing like money or more time or more power or something like right. that and they forget the fact that they've already been rewarded because there's air in our lungs and exactly. and legs on our bodies exactly the, you know the bible tells us to uh, store up treasures in heaven um the the, the idea that so many people today don't live with the eternal in mind. They only live with the temporal in mind. So they make decisions so it benefits them now, tomorrow, today, but not, is this going to affect my soul eternally? And I think people lose sight of that all the time. There are some verses about when you say that stirring up treasures in heaven. Mm -hmm. When we get to heaven, will there be people that have more treasures than others? Um, that's kind of another show. <laughs> what, what happens when you get to heaven? You know, what happens when you die? There'd be a show. Um, yeah. Th there is, and I, and I don't know the exact uh, biblical verses, but there is, um, uh, dare I say, somewhat of a merit-based system um, that, that, yes, yes, there is. I mean, like I said, I'd have, to get, I'd have to do some research and get the verses out. But there is references in the Bible to um, uh, people's rewards in heaven being different than others. Put it that way. Oh, man. That's amazing. All right. As we do every day, we finish up with the question of the day. Question of the day today. Uh, you know, we've got all this heat, this heat, extreme heat going through southern United States over in, uh, in Europe. What's the hottest day or hottest uh, period of time you remember experiencing? Uh, here in the U.S.? Wherever. Um, I remember being in Tulsa, Oklahoma many years ago, and it was 108 degrees. <sighs> Dang. Yeah. Going out, go, I was going. I went outside. I was at a relative's house, and I went out on, on their outdoor covered porch. And I was like, "This is what 108 degrees feels like." Phoenix, so, Phoenix, Arizona yeah, has yeah. they're on their 19th straight day over 110. Okay, yeah. Okay. I actually take that. I, I take that back. I don't take it back. I did. It was 108 in Tulsa many years ago. But I've been to Death Valley in California. Oh, okay. Which is recorded to be the hottest place on earth. Yeah, it's, it's right on the border between yep. what California and Nevada. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, what, yeah. What is? Is there anything in Death Valley? Is there just uh, Death Valley National Park? There's not a lot there. Uh, there's like a visitor center and stuff. Because like I know a lot yeah. of people go there yeah. to experience it, mm -hmm. but I'm like, what? What? Are you, yeah. It's like the 
the four state corner in Colorado huh? and Utah. Yeah, the there's nothing there. You have to drive for for hours you to get to a nothing spot. Yeah, there's no, there isn't much there. I've been to the um, in Death Valley. There's this place that I think it's either the lowest place on the earth or the lowest place in the United States. I don't know if it's either either or. It, it's certainly the lowest place altitude wise in the United States. I'm pretty sure. Um, and yes, it's very very hot. <laughs> it's salty and hot. Fascinating. So. Bruce the Theologian, thanks so much for joining us today, talking about tithes. Thank you very much. All right, we'll see you next week. We'll be right back. One more segment to go. Stick around. The news and talk. The allegations that the Attorney General of the United States has weaponized the Justice Department. That matters to Springfield. That the DOJ.